Shmai, uh, bringing this podcast to you today are Team Rubicon UK, a disaster response charity formed predominantly of ex-military volunteers. They respond to disasters overseas, but also in the UK. They uh, most recently responded in the UK in the last few weeks. In fact, a couple of times in the last few months, actually, to um, the big impact that floods, a couple of different floods have had up north. And Team Rubicon UK volunteers have been up there helping local people, local communities, local councils get those people most affected back in their feet. It's been amazing work and they've received, um, those people who were involved with that have, have quite rightfully received a, a huge pat on the back from not only Team Rubicon UK but also from <coughs> local media, national media and, uh, and their friends, families and colleagues. So well done to those. Team Rubicon UK can only go on as long as their funding allows they're not government funded they rely on the good naturedness of people in the uk to provide them with donations so you can do that at teamrubiconuk.org forward slash donate you can also register to become a gray shirt which is what they know their volunteers as because of the distinctive shirts that their volunteers wear when they're on ops uh, you can become a gray shirt by going to teamrubicon uk.org and hitting sign up there's just recently in the last couple of weeks been an international operators course run they provide all the courses for free and you uh, get on get on board get trained up get trained up to respond either domestically and or internationally uh like i have and like uh, many other podcast guests have done and uh and um many of my friends and colleagues so thank you to team rubicon also bringing the show to you today are Rugby for Heroes. Rugby for Heroes are a not-for-profit charity set up um, in the wake of the death of Private Joe Whitaker, who was a parachute regiment soldier, sadly killed in Afghanistan. The organisation was founded by a group of keen rugby players, keen beer drinkers, based out of the old Lemontonians Rugby Football Club. Rugby for Heroes organises fundraising events each year to raise money for various military charities. Uh, their most recent event was the Rugby for Heroes Beer and Gin Festival, which was, ooh, I think it was in May. Yes, it was in May, uh, which was a superb event, raised lots and lots of money for charity. It was a fantastic day out, and uh, I, I was there. Very, very glad to have been there. And there's more events coming up. They've actually got, they've actually got a, uh, a fundraising dinner coming up in november november i think november yes which looks to be a great event and then uh, another one next year um rugby heroes have raised over a hundred thousand pounds for military charities since they started which is a, a an enormous achievement considering how small the organization is and how few events they run you know with all the volunteers take part in, in organizing it all a big shout out to michael valance who is the driving force behind it is an amazing achievement. <clears throat> so well done. You can keep up to date with Rugby for Heroes by going to rugbyforheroes.org or you can, it's much easier to go on social media and find them on there at rugby number four heroes, rugby for heroes on social media. Thank you to, uh, thank you to Rugby Heroes. Finally, last but not least, sponsoring us today are Western Nissan, the UK's largest Nissan dealership headed by Mr. Tony Lewis, who was ex-military himself. And uh, and as a result, Westway quite kindly provide up to a 20% discount off of purchases for serving personnel 
and veterans. If you need a new wagon, need a new vehicle, go to Westway, Westway Nissan. Get into one of their dealerships. They're all over the place. They're everywhere in the UK because they're the biggest Nissan dealership going. They've got exclusive deals with Nissan whereby there are certain models of Nissan you can only get from a Westway dealership. Yeah, you can't get them anywhere else. So get yourself into one of the dealerships. Go and have a look at the wagons they got. They got um, private and commercial vehicles and they do purchase, but they also do hire. So get yourself into Westway Nissan. Westway Nissan at Code UK or Westway Nissan on social media. That is it. On to the podcast. My guest today is a former Royal Marines commando, uh, Joshua Pelland. Also served with, didn't surf, also served with the Special Forces Support Group. One para, and uh, left there when the private security circuit, and unfortunately was involved in a climbing accident and um, broke his back, and it was paralysed. He uh, he is now a paracyclist and a motivational speaker, and it was an absolutely fascinating and thoroughly enjoyable talk. Oh, he's also Canadian, so he's slightly odd. You won't mind saying that. Slightly odd, but Canadians are all a bit slightly odd, aren't they? They're, they're like our they're like our friendly. Odd kid from across the road. Odd Canadians. I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, Josh Rappellin, the odd Canadian. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, hey, shower. <laughs> what am I talking about? Hey, shower with Joshua Pelland. We're recording there. So we're on. We're on. Right. Well. Josh, mate, absolute pleasure. Glad yeah. we could tie in the um, the, the crazy schedules, mate. I, I have no doubt yours is probably as crazy as mine. Yeah, man, it's been nonstop coming over. And you're, and you're flying back tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah, yeah. Tomorrow morning. So, um, what's what's tomorrow morning? Yeah, yeah. Mate. Well, mid-afternoon. Is your missus over? Yeah, yeah. I've just... You've did, been there for the day. Yeah, Last day in the UK on the holiday, you've mate, been there. I've just been seeing all the lads. <laughs> <laughs> what else is there to do? Yeah. You've got kids? No. No, okay. That's, well, that's, that's something. That's one less thing that we haven't had a go at. About, yeah. yeah. You know. Go and spend time with the kids. Last day of the holiday. Yeah. You know, I'm going to do a podcast. I haven't seen the lads for years. <laughs> Watch them. <laughs> um, give me your background, if you don't mind. If brief overview or whatever you want. To, but especially with the military side, just so people can get a feel of... Yeah, so... You. Yeah, I um, guess growing up, came came from Canada, grew up all over Canada. Uh, real adventurous sort of kid type thing. Had some trips overseas when I was younger. Kind of really sparked that adventure. Um, about 17, 18, I wanted to join the Canadian military. Took ages to get in, and I was just getting annoyed with it. So, What was taking, what was, why was the length of time? Just the recruiting process. Oh, really? Passed everything, and they were, I couldn't get a date to join sort of thing. Um, and I know a couple of other Canadian lads that came across and joined. Same issues. And uh, kind of knew about the Corps, Royal Marines, from reading World War II history and stuff. Uh, found out I could join. And I thought, yeah, I'll take a bit of that. So 2005, came across. Joined up. Did training. Had a blast. Huge culture so- shock. Coming from, the U- coming from Canada to the UK. Couldn't understand anyone. And then getting thrown straight into the military. Um, yeah, I did six years in the Corps total. Bounced around a couple places. 
um, went outside kind of in mid to end 2011. Did a bit of security work for four-ish years. Was living in South Africa at the time. Uh, oh. Yeah. Whereabouts? Durban. So, okay, cool. Yeah, southeast. I'm wearing Canada from? Yeah, right now I'm living in uh, western Canada. So east side of the Rocky Mountains in the province of Alberta. Okay. Yeah, Calgary's my closest city, just in a small town. Are you in a city or in town? No, or town? small town. Yeah, it's about three and a half thousand people. Just chill, really chill. Never thought I'd be back there and wanted to chill out. Yeah. So uh, moved back to Canada in 2014. Did that. Um, was always a climber. I started climbing when I was about 16. I climbed on and off uh, up till about 2014. And uh, What age were you joined? Uh, 19. Or 18 and a half, 19 okay. type thing, yeah. And then uh, 2014, yeah, went back. Struggled kind of trying to find a job, all that sort of stuff. Um, big, really big culture shock, big transitional period. Uh, after uh, after security. Yeah. So out in security, back to Canada, trying to do a normal life. Mate, I, I, that sounds like me. Yeah. yeah exactly the same thing. Go yeah. On. And then uh, just thought, okay, I'm just going to go climbing. Had a couple like crappy jobs in that. Just got threaders with it. So uh, just climbed full time. Lived in the back of a truck. Like a lot of climbers do, they call them dirt bags. Just yeah, it is, mate. Basically, on hard routine, summer and winter. <laughs> uh, rock climbing, big wall, free climbing, uh, ice climbing, mixed climbing, your alpinism, alpine routes, and then sort of traditional mountaineering, as it were. Uh, so I did that on and off. Had a blast. Met a lot of interesting people. You know, just getting after it. Um, Loved it. It was like freeing feeling, but really challenging. Uh, working up to more of the harder routes that I did. There's a lot of like logistics into it. It was really kind of militaristic in its approach. You know, a lot of organizing preparation. Uh, 2016, I was out on the west coast of Canada. Uh, Squamish. It's about an hour north of Vancouver. Big, huge granite walls. Um, spent a lot of time out there in the summer. Just crack climbing, you know that style of climbing in the granite and uh had an accident fell 65 feet straight down be free climbing no i was doing um a style of climbing called rope soloing so it's where you climb and manage all the rope work yourself um don't remember what happened fell 65 feet main injury broke my spine completely shifted off full sever of the spinal cord yeah so living in a wheelchair ever since okay. so that was in uh june 2016 june 12th 2016 did about um yeah about eight months in a hospital you're on your own were you? yeah well there was a couple other people that uh came up so came when up you that day when you're leading it you're, you're putting the you're putting the carabine you're putting the i don't know the, I don't yeah. know the phrase the, the, so you put the carabine get the, get the ropes in you and so yeah. i'll obviously is uh see obviously uh, there must be like a a gap between you between the, the next strong point down that you're attached to and the next one up. Yeah. So How it, was the fall so far? Why was it 65 feet? Oh, fuck so, yeah, so 65 feet was the top of the climb. So coming a coming, um, couple months after my injury, I got an email from someone who saw me fall. And uh, she said I was at the top of the climb organizing all the ropes and stuff. So it's a lot of gear for this style of climbing. 
So I guess I was at the top organizing everything, and then she just saw me chucking her down. You blacked out. Can't remember it. That yeah. strange, mate. That, that is uh, fucking hell. Yeah, my. You know, I woke up in hospital. Mate, yeah. Uh, waking up in a hospital was horrendous. Like, man, it was it was crazy. So, I did about two weeks in intensive care unit, and I did a month in total in Vancouver before I flew back to Calgary. Um, yeah, that two weeks, like my brain went back to the probably the last bit of trauma and stress that I experienced in my life, and that would have been Afghan. So I woke up or gained some sort of consciousness, and I hadn't a clue what was going on. Man, I Literally I, no idea. No, not a clue. And that first month, I really didn't have a clue. It's very vague memories of people coming to visit me and stuff. But especially that first two weeks, well, what, I, what I gather is two weeks. Um, like my brain reverted back to being an Afghan, and I honestly thought I was captured by the enemy. Um, my brother actually came right away. He saw me like absolute tripping out type thing. Like I remember kind of waking up and just hearing voices. My eyes were covered, hearing voices, and I didn't. I had no idea what was going on. Why were on. your eyes covered? I don't know. Maybe okay. just the lights, or maybe the lights yeah. were off, or whatever. Yeah. Or maybe I just couldn't. Oh, open. just what you remember. You remember you think your eyes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm hearing voices and so abnormal. What's going on? So I thought I was like captured. You know, my brain was so far gone, either through the drugs and the trauma that I've been in. Um, you know, multiple surgeries and all this. And, and then I passed out and then I kind of regained consciousness again. And I was thinking like, I got to get out of here. Like, got to E&E myself out of here, you know? And I guess that's when I was like starting to pull cords out and trying to grab nurses and screaming. Like, I was just going like, my brother saw me just, just fucking kill me. Let's get it over with. You know, like, mate, I've never been so scared in my life. Like, Thinking you were captured by the Taliban. Pretty much. Like, that's where my brain went back to. And then, you know, I'd pass out and I'd just f fall back into just like the darkness, you know, just brain just on overdrive. So I actually had to be restrained in the bed. So, you know, I'm waking up and I, I can't move. I don't know what's happened to me and tripping, you know, like. Jesus Christ. And then that kind of faded off, just kind of trickled away when I started, you know, seeing family and kind of piecing it together within that first month so yeah it was pretty pretty horrendous and then i flew back to uh got flown back to canada the canadian legion actually helped me out with a medical flight somehow they heard about heard about my injury and they're like yeah we need to get him back home so he can you know do his rehabilitation and everything like that near his family we can organize start helping him out so they squared that away <clears throat> big help I didn't know that they helped um, Commonwealth veterans. So they do a lot of work with Commonwealth vet, vets that are living in Canada. So yeah, I went back to um, the hospital in Calgary, close to my home, and started all my rehab, rehabilitation and learning how to live in this new new world I'm now in. Mate. I, uh, I <laughs> one of the things that um, I've, when I've thought about people like yourselves when have gone through those unfortunate instances and and have gone through life-changing you know injuries and you can't 
it's not so much you can get anything more life changing and like paralysis or like blindness and, and, and yeah. stuff, you know, or something that similar where one of your senses or one of your movement abilities is completely taken away, or like um, amputees, you know, yeah, um, is oh man, what 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 the mental journey is like when you when you when you're able to when you realize what's happened to you and what you know and your in, what your injuries are mm-hmm. and how so successful people like yourself like um mickey yule who's been on as a double amputee you know how you what the mental process initially the the struggle was like and the arguments in your head was like to be able to get through the if the question of it arises i mean yeah it's like what why should i be here? everything's gone that's because that's potentially perceived everything's gone what my life has been ripped away what's the point in, con- in continuing you know yeah. uh, early on i'm saying mm-hmm. and how how do people get through that what was it like when uh, so so my question to you is what when you you you, you came out with the that sort of frenzy of thinking you were captured by the taliban you know um what was it like when you realized that you you know you, you're paralyzed what was that that mentally i mean how what was what was it like explain explain it to me yeah i i didn't really come to full grips of it i guess um till a little while after when i started having to you know do start doing the work doing the rehab and stuff because i was just laying in bed you know but there really wasn't anything going in my going on in my mind it was like almost a blank slate as it were and then i remember seeing a um x-ray of my spine you know saw tons of x-rays and just seeing how shifted it was i knew instantly like there was no coming back from that what did it look like what did the spine look like just kind of sorry my balance is bad just broken off like so just, it just yeah, you get just two of the vertebrae completely misaligned. Pretty much just sitting, up, sitting off of each other, and then I saw the, I think I've got twelve screws in my back and two huge rods, you know. And then I started going through the list. They started going through the list of injuries that I had sustained from the fall, and I just, I'm like, okay, you're pretty lucky, you know. I thought about that, and then I started thinking about. I really thought about like all the lads that had gone through, you know, injuries in Afghan or after or whatever and how, how they just cracked on, you know, type thing, what they've been doing. I was like, okay, I've got this. Um, people started visiting me when I was in hospital who had been in chairs for a while. A lot of them were para athletes and stuff and, uh, told me what they were up to and introduced me to a couple different sports, even when I was in hospital. And I just thought, okay, you basically have no excuse now type thing. So that sort of transition, I didn't really have, I I didn't give myself time to just sit and stew, you know, and just start falling back. You know, it was like, here's a path you got. Let's take it. It's right here. There's no excuse. You know, I saw a lot of people in the hospital because it was in like a spinal neural ward rehab boards a lot of brain injury spinal injuries and i saw a lot of people just switch off you know just fall into like depression 
rightly so, you know, but I, I, I saw that and I, I didn't want to be part of it. You know, I did, didn't want to tap into that because who knows how, how bad it could get type thing. There was another young guy about my age, also spinal injury from a climb, got injured like a month after me. And he was just hyperactive dude, you know? So I was just, we were just feeding off each other. So that, that quick progress almost made this transition feel seamless after injury. And going into my mind, really, it was just like, almost like that, just utter determination. Like you, you can't quit, like just plow forward, plow forward, you know? Obviously, there was days and there still is like laying in bed and it's just like, I don't want to get out of here, especially within like the first year of being out of hospital. It was tough. Big transition, you know, having to learn how to do all this stuff alone and f figure things out and complications and whatever, whatnot. You were, were you with your missus then or not? No, no, no. I met her about... uh well, pretty much right after my injury type thing. But, you know, I had a great family around me, great support. Lads were coming to visit me, support me. Also this, like, kind of new community I got thrown into with the Paris sports and, you know, huge benefit. It's just everything was just fell into place, as it were. So made it feel seamless. So, so what year was the injury again? Sorry, 2016. Mm-hmm. So yeah, three three and a bit years ago, type thing. Yeah, I think <coughs> um, when we were talking off air before, and you were, we were talking about the um, the cycling, the para Paralympic, pa Paralympic, paracycling. Para yeah, yeah. I think um, I, something popped into my head where I think there's <coughs> a lot to be said for. <coughs> I think that now the impact of the the, the psychological benefits of sports. Yeah. to people are much much greater now than I think they were before um, when I say before I mean before smartphone and social media I mean, mm. that's, that's exactly what I mean I mean before that so like pre uh, well, the epidemic should we say so pre-2010 2011 yeah. and I and, and I really bring it up now I wonder if I wonder if some of their help was um, with the with the Paralympic uh, I keep saying Paralympic mm -hmm. sorry mate Paralympic one day maybe Let's uh, do it. The para yeah, the the paracycling and the sports is that maybe? Uh, is that uh, no doubt? That must have been a a huge. I'm not saying you're a social media flipping mentalist before, but that impact on your positive impact on you must have, must be huge. That, and, and again, I go back to Mickey Yule. I think as well, just to reference him as another athlete, yeah, like yourself. That switching off focusing on something taking your mind away from anything going and getting and getting medieval again and mm. you know medieval yeah. and driving the body forward and driving the mind to achieve things that you, you, you that weren't possible before yeah that will be possible if you if you if you strive towards them and you'll, you'll get to a point you know i don't know what like 100 like i talk when i speak to people or you know i talk about you know i just i pretty much just took all the energy and focus that I had before, I realized there's no coming back from this short of a miracle. Let's take what you got and let's just switch it into something else. And yeah, hundred percent. If I didn't have that and I wasn't, you know, I'd, I'd be like, well, where's my life go now? You know, because everything I did was 
before was very physical, very focused. And I personally need that, you know, it's the type of person I am. So that aided in that transition. You know, I started cycling three months after my accident, pretty much. Oh, really? Yeah, I joined like a recreational group. So those athletes that came and visited me kind of pointed me in this like recreational group of hand cyclists that met. So I went out with them on the road, just ripping around the neighborhood sort of thing. Met my first cycling coach there, and he invited me to come train with him. So three times a week I'd go after my like physiotherapy and rehab, just learning how to use a wheelchair or flop around on a bed, get dressed. And then I started training with him, you know. I could barely turn, you know, barely turn my arms over, but, you know, even there I was seeing like young lads, like 12, 13 training on um, like a regular road bike. You know, maybe he has some sort of deformity in his arm or maybe spina bifida or something. I can't remember. And I'd see this kid like just hammering it for like two hour sessions, working hard. And I was just like, mate, you've got no excuse. Like, keep going. And I I needed that just to, even after, even though I was so physically drained from, you know, all these surgeries and learning how to live in this new body, I still needed just to get physically drained and that needed to get emotionally drained as well. Like just strip draw again, let's go build up again in, in a way, in a strange sense i felt like i needed no, to do that it makes sense i mean <clears throat> there's people you know a lot of people are comment to you and i from our, our background um and i mean military background is com- there's a lot of common traits to come with people like that and it's you know i'm, I'm generally speaking it's not every person is mm-hmm. different you know, yeah. we're, we're driven we 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 want to get somewhere. We may not know where that is. We want to, uh, yeah. We want to succeed, especially when we want to succeed. We're gonna go somewhere. We believe in ourselves. I can achieve this, you know, because because <clears throat> I mean, uh, just one one example of why that's the case and that general, you know, sort of general, general traits that I'm talking about. Yeah. Good. Yeah. The general traits that I'm talking about are um are because uh, uh, because little things like to get into the Royal Marines, to get into the powers, to get into the military, to get into Flipping even the even the RAF, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not the RAF. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta achieve mental and physical. You have to make mental and physical achievements just to yeah. get your foot in the door, just even with the chance of looking at you know getting just, to the recruit, just you know, making that commitment, training, right? Yeah. So, so you stray away that kind of person, and then when a catastrophic incident happens, you know, like yourself, perhaps I'm not saying it's you, but you know. That you got you 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 maybe at a point where it's like how do I shit everything I knew I was capable of and I was going moving towards and and I could move towards and be and succeed and yeah be, be a climbing or be a, you know find a job whatever it's just, it's all changed and then you know you get into things like you know, sports and it you and you realize ah. I can do I can do something, you know. Yeah. So sort of, I was a moron. Yeah, like, I'm, 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 I'm like a lousy shit. It's not like it's yeah. like it's that it's it, it's an it's a it's a it reminds me of a, a thing in, in, that I've uh, tried to understand. It was presented to me by a counselor in the past, and it's you're a different. Granted, nothing like you. I'm talking. Yeah. Uh, my mental state now yeah. is not what it was before, mm-hmm. and it's and it's looking at it as in I'm not the person I was before. I can't achieve that. It's 
I can't achieve what I want to achieve. It's there's been a change. Now, let's analyze the change. What can I do? And how can I be the best person I can be? I, I'd say it's, it's similar for yourself, right? Yeah. And look at what everything that sport brings brings with it as well. Mm-hmm. Your, your community, it's new knowledge. It's a new community of like-minded individuals. Yeah. It's uh, focus, determination, the crack, camaraderie. You, you know, it's... All uh, that stuff. It's amazing stuff, man. It's amazing it's, stuff. Yeah. You know, and I... Yeah, it's it has changed me. It's changed me for the better. You know, I've been able to, you know, draw on all my strengths and everything from the past, and then kind of step back and just see. Okay, there's this huge new world out there in in a way, but definitely the sport has helped speed that up because I could be at home stewing, and then find out about the sport or whatever two years down the line then I've just wasted two years type thing if that makes sense and um yeah man it's just it's focus determination let's let's get this going and even if it's only for a short period you know it's 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 sped the process of healing I guess from for me up you know it's like it's been great Mm. No, just just opening opening doors, as it were. Mm-hmm. Getting that sense of achievement, that goals, looking forward to things. You know, it gets annoying at times. Cycling five days a week and long, long hours and all that. But I know, put that work in, it's going to pay off. It's making me stronger physically. Um, it's clearing my head just like you know when you're stressed out or whatever years ago and you just have to go run you know just almost just sprint it all off you know go to the gym hit the bag whatever type thing and that was that that's what climbing was for me you know that that process that transition out of the military security world whatever um that that transition was probably harder for me than getting a getting a spinal injury in in a way, you know, it was more frustr more frustrating. If you don't, it's hard to recognize it as well, right? Yeah, no, it's hard to recognize it's even happening. Yeah, or there's even a an issue, you know. Um, I don't say I say an issue. It's it's hard to hard to see it as a this is a difficult period in my life mm-hmm. and what, what the struggles are because it's not obvious that it's, it's like you said earlier actually you mm-hmm. said the culture shock of going back to Canada and fuck man yeah I've spoken about this a few times recently on air and off air it's like the culture yeah. absolutely fucking that is a flat out culture shock mm-hmm. even if you'd come out of the marines and like yeah you know, even if you'd been in the Canadian military and come out and then gone back into like Canadian civvy street yeah that's a culture shock man <laughs> <laughs> it's it's it, pe- it's people, wild because what you, it's a life you don't lead anymore you know you're going into something you don't understand that, yeah absolutely um but because you don't have that sort of uh because it's not a uh you know one day you're climbing and the next you're in fucking hospital and it's a, a you know a light switch on, on and off it's a slow stewing it's a slow stew and particularly where the, the security world's concerned i had a very similar experience to you and i mm-hmm. went i went out i went at the security world for a few years absolutely fine you know and then it's only when I came back and I started working in the UK, yeah. normal, <laughs> shit went Pete Tong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or the shit that's gone Pete Tong was more obvious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And and like you're like you were kind of saying like you have all this you have all this worth and drive from before. You know, I, I was back in Canada and I was like, what? Like I just couldn't figure out what was going on with me. You know, I didn't like I didn't recognize something was happening as such. But I was like, okay, you've got all this great stuff behind you. Why is why is no one recognizing this? You know, like and then it's just the frustration just boils. And I was like, I cannot figure and then you go and get trained in something. Try to try to figure out make some sort of a path for yourself, but there's real no direction, no clear direction. And I was just like, Yeah, stuff it, go and climb in. You know, like whether, you know, climbing was really good for me. I know it chilled me out a lot. But it was almost like I was running away at times from issues, problems, whatever. You know, I was just putting everything on the back burner type thing. But yeah, climbing climbing was really good for me that way. It just aided the transition to being a chilled out chilled out person, you know. But still giving me that focus and drive. Um, you know. Driving, yeah. It's, it's switching, switching you off from life. It's switching you off from life. Like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like you're still you're getting a sense of accomplishment you, 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 and yeah, stuff. You focus, you focus one hundred percent. What you need to do, like the cycling, like the running. My best days, mate. My my the best when I'm most productive, when I'm soundest in my mind. My best days, one hundred percent, are days where I've done fitness mm-hmm. or. It's the day after I've done fitness. <laughs> yeah. it, they are. It's the single most impactful thing that uh, that 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 uh, that that ch- changes my perspective. Not perspective. It changes my mental state. I I don't. Well, I, I don't necessarily mean just fitness. I mean out outdoor stuff. Focus. You know. Yeah. Something that gets me to focus. I have to. I have to do. It. I'm going climbing this weekend actually, and uh, I shit myself. Mind. <laughs> I'm so, this is this is my kids, mate. Just I cack myself, but I, well, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> Force <laughs> yeah, yourself to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so, but it's because uh, I've got no choice. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, the the, the, the single impactful, impactful days, best days when I'm doing fitness. But yeah. why is that? I, I mean, one you got you know it releases the pheromones in the body. It makes you feel good. Whether you do like 500 meters or whether you do like 10 mile, whether yeah. you're cycling or whether you're swimming or whatever. Sense of accomplishment. But also, like, you're switching off your focus. Yeah. It's absolutely sense of accomplishment. Yeah, and it it can get you out of that rut. You know, you you're stewing in yourself or whatever. You you don't want to leave the house. You're just on the computer, whatever. You know, it's like making that choice. Okay, I'm actually going to get up, put my running sh- running shoes on, and hammer. And then you come back and you're like, what has happened? You know, whole s- switch. You know, I'm the same way when I get on the bike type thing sorry go on yeah i was gonna say um with climbing you know it it was more than just like that physical output in 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 a sense you know definitely that sense of accomplishment um working so hard but doing like hard hard routes where where you have to be so switched on so focused and in a big environment, you know, where there's a lot of outside factors, weather, avalanche, hazards, et cetera, et cetera. 
you know, where you've you've got to be so so switched on and careful, especially if you're a bit remote. But uh, I remember crack climbing, going up this finger crack, so your fingers are just tightly wedged in, different, you know, you're just smearing within the crack, the rubber on your shoes. You've got that piece of gear that you put into the crack as your protection well below you. And I remember being so, so, f I still recall like the feeling and the movement, the texture, like I still can see the crack when I've climbed and I'm just in this bubble. It's just so focused. And the only time that I've had that before is when I've been scrapping in Afghan where everything, you know, where time, you know, that time slows down and you can see what's, you know, you can almost step out of your body and you can just see what's going on and just hammer what needs to get done. You know what I mean? And those, that decision-making process is so clear and focused, even though there's some like serious stakes, whether it be an Afghan or, you know, you're about to fall, you know, 15 feet on a crack climb or whatever. That was like that connection that I loved with climbing. Just kind of, I'm sure people get it with like, you know, a high from a really hard run or maybe even yoga or what, whatever. But that was like, whether I was chasing that or I was really in that moment, that was like where I was just me it's, in, it's, in a it's, sense. It's pushing the body to, it's, it's the mental state you get from one or two things <clears throat> or both together. And it's, Pushing the body to the limit of it, if of its extremities mm -hmm. in that current state. So you're a couch potato. I can't run another quote and do ten minutes of running or walking, and you fucking find it hard, man. And that, that and you put you pushing your body. Yeah, a five minute walk or run, something you wouldn't have done before. You know, mm -hmm. you're pushing your body to the limit limit of its extremities in that situation. So it's either that or it's or it's danger close to death. Yeah, danger close, and your decisions right will. Will have a uh, will play a major part in whether you survive or you don't. What what um what what tour were you on in Afghan with uh, the Marines? What tours? Well, I was with the uh, one para. Oh, so, oh yeah. right, yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, you SFSG, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Did mention that at the start. Yeah. Why not? I don't know. Just Royal Marine, Royal Marine friends. Pay, could yeah, yeah. Not can, be happy with can, that. Can How do they look on SFSG? The bootnecks. I think they just. Yeah, I think they just see it as just part of the core oh you're away and then you come back but it's it's different different from it's really different so from you the did core. A, you some short some like a few short tours with one power yeah just just the one yeah. one long one okay kind of the six monther and then i was down there for robots for you? two and a bit years all over all over helmand it was yeah it was great just kind of being able to bounce around throughout helmand and just kind of get a big lay of the land as it were and see all the different regiments units whatever that we we worked with were wider green army or different coalition forces and stuff so i could i wasn't just i, I really liked it because i wasn't just confined to one sort of fob or one ao as it were you know i kind of see a bit of everything doing a wide variety of ops as well was great yeah, kind of so i just got most bang for my buck as it were it's, a, it's an eye opener when you see other other units within the british army and yeah. British forces, and but then also like foreign units. Mm -hmm. Unfortunate to have had experience working with loads, you know, but I think more more than your average sort of 
bloke in the unit. Yeah, but uh, um, I mean, operationally. Um, but I, I always remember. Uh, I always remember hearing a story about. I think it was in it was in two thousand eight. We we were, we were based at a car, and they, I remember there just be. I can't remember the conversation. But there was reference to a Spanish army fob, and it wasn't far from Kandahar. Yeah. And it was reference to them being a the drama because every every evening when the sun went down, they'd just be on the piss all night in, <laughs> on the, on the ground protecting this Ford operating base, and the Spanish would just get on the wine. <laughs> Oh, man. I, uh, I think I think that came from I'm sure because I came out of that tour late. I'd come off seniors and I think one I think uh, three para had done an op in the vicinity of that fob. Yeah. Spanish just getting on the piss. And then, you, it, and then you get other and then you get other forces, units where the the calibre of the people, part of them are just immense. Mm-hmm. But they're just from a shithole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the Estonians. You know what I mean? Yeah. Estonians, mate. Those people are hardcore. Yeah. But I mean, they're like a 1940s army. You know, they haven't got the kit, they haven't got the equipment. You think, man, if you, if you gave you our kit, you know, gave you our training, and you'd be indestructible. Just <laughs> machines just rolling <laughs> through the place. Cold weather's not a drama for Estonians, mate. No. <laughs> they don't even have gloves. <laughs> yeah, flipping heck. I was yeah. talking to a guy, um, I was talking to a guy called uh, Ben Langdon, and he's an Australian, and he spent time in. He 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 got out the got out the mill. He's an Australian Defence Force One IR. Have you heard of him, Ben? Ben is Ben Lang. No, I've just done a podcast with him, and I can't, I've, okay, I've no. got his name wrong twice this morning, <laughs> right? Even though I know his name, because I've got his name wrong, I keep getting it wrong again. In fact, it was uh, Gaz who introduced me to him. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so he uh, he got out, went into security in, in Afghan, and he ended up getting he ended up killing an Afghan. Like uh, the guy, the Afghan pulled his weapon. They got into an argument. Yeah. And the uh, and the Afghan pulled his pistol, pointed at Gaz, and Gaz just put dropped him. Yeah. Four rounds dropped him point blank into the chest because the guy was in the vehicle. And then, <laughs> like proper did him, <laughs> proper did him, and then and then he. It was they were protecting a convoy, mm-hmm. uh, a, a U.S. Army convoy um, of, of like ISO containers and kit and mail and all that shit, yeah. right? And so they they cracked on because they, they were on the ground when it happened. Like right, get the convoy moving. He opens the boot of the he opens the boot of the, of the car, and in the boot is just full of drugs. And this guy, this Afghani, was part of the team, and it was like a son of a warlord and all this crap. And yeah, yeah. He says, yeah, going, going. Uh, Right, we'll crack on. Get rid of the vehicle, and they go and burn the vehicle with the body in it. And then it's like, right, you try to cover up, you try to cover up murder. He spent s- seven years in prison, Afghan prison, mate. Oh, yeah. But the reason I bring him up is he, he had a really interesting. You're talking about, you know, seeing a lot of Afghanistan and, and and different units, different people, and different aspects. And he spent seven years in, in, a, in a prison, and he, he was engaging with the ta- engaging in conversation with Taliban prisoners in there. Yeah, and um. He, 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 to get their insight of what was going on, was he said was this it was just like fascinating. It's fa- it fascinating, and it made me wonder what what the opinions of different factions were across Afghan with us with us being there. You know, it's it's uh, yeah, it's lots of questions around around that whole campaign that you can ask yourself day and night, never get an answer. I mean, yeah, what what was it like? 
with a different what was your how, how much was the variation of different communities and, and and their opinions of sort of that campaign in afghan did you get much an insight into it or not uh, you know in fact also a different unit different military units out there yeah i liked sort of the afghans we worked with were pretty pretty squared away and then when i'd watch them engaging in like a little sure or whatever or even just face to face with like two three locals i could see i could see that they actually cared about their country and getting it squared away and moving forward and the local population when they were just genuine locals wanting to crack on with their life witnessing that was pretty cool and then watching the locals then see that they kind of gave a shit and then they would just start you know giving in or whatever and then actually just saying like we just want to get stuff squared away and just crack on with our lives sort of thing so watching that was pretty eye-opening and then even just you know bedouins or whatever that just genuinely really didn't have a clue as to what was going on they're just like yeah that's happening 50 miles away we just want to herd our sheep and our goats and get on with it and then seeing you know working with the different units or whatever mate just lies just patrolling the same same ground over and over again you know not really pushing out really far whereas we could we had the ability to push quite far out and you know get the lay of the land and then go and push out far far and scrap you know and then just go into these places where the taliban or whatever is you know they've just got free reign of the place they're they're able to set up facilitate ieds and all that and then push into the where the lads are patrolling and stuff and you know just kind of have free reign so i was there in 2010 it seemed like there's a lot of restrictions you know rules of engagement and that um witnessing that was pretty pretty tough just watching the the lads just in the fobs or checkpoints or whatever like just restricted when you know engaging someone who's potentially has an id or whatever you know just like hands off kind of thing i actually remember pulling into this fob i can't remember where it was and as soon as we pulled in the place got hit pretty hard pretty pretty heavy rate of fire so all of our lads and some of theirs up on the hesco up in the sangers getting rounds down trying to figure out what's going on you know that quieted down and it, it continued for like a couple of days before we put it in an op or whatever but i remember their oc or c or whatever it was didn't want all of our us lads getting on the hesco getting the rounds down when when they started getting incoming and stuff just no why, why was that i have no idea they're like just snipers just sharpshooters you know we don't want to you know piss the locals off sort of thing you know that that sort of thing and i was witnessing that and i was just like this is this is this is kind of kind of crazy kind of crazy you know i just i couldn't wrap my head around it you know obviously you can't be out there and just pushing and being like turbo aggressive and stuff in a way but you kind of have to be to stay safe yeah i can understand the pissing the locals off sentiment but then it's <coughs> where's your face in the troops you know i mean well, i'm very uh i'm very happy you hear stories of like collateral damage and people just fucking bro 
and shit up for the sake of brass and shit up, mate. You know, mm. and uh, I'm very, I'm very, very lucky. I think. I think I'm. I think I'm lucky because it, it sounds like there's stuff going on elsewhere. But mm. in my experience, <clears throat> I think I'm fortunate. That, fortunate that I didn't ever experience that. You know, uh, no, I tell a lie. I did once. I tell a lie. I did once. Um, but it, it, for the majority, of it, I didn't experience. Like I said, brass and shit up for the sake of brass and shit up. I mean, for, for myself, you know, it's like I, I wouldn't go engage in some a building or a person unless I was a hundred percent sure there was a reason to engage, as yeah. a valid reason, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I knew that it wasn't going to be. Um, no, well, I knew not that I knew. You can never know hundred percent, but I, or, or the estimate I had said that there's going to be no, you know, sieve pop in there. Um, and the same with you know calling in air and. And the mortars and and all that and using flipping, you know your 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 missile launchers and stuff like that. Yeah. But I mean the one the one incident I did experience and pissed me off, man. Really, and it's it stuck with me for well, it stuck with me till now. Tournament now, and uh, it was in uh, I was in Kajaki in it's two thousand six, and uh, there was a person who was attached to the unit, and um, he was a TA guy. And he was out there. He, he seemed like a nice guy. He's a bit of a fucking pest. You know what I mean? He could draw. I could saw him do it. He could draw an Enfield rifle from his memory, and it was just picture perfect on the sketch pad. You go, yeah. yeah. And all the inner workings, and he's right. And he, you know, he, he, he always volunteered. Apparently, he always volunteered himself for every tour. You know, one of these guys, great TA, wanted to get on the yeah. ground, you know, and, uh, and and do the stuff, but. He's also responsible for airstrikes <coughs> and, uh, and and things like that, and mm. um, and he was very fond of any opportunity he'd call in and he'd call in yeah. whether he, whether it was necessary or not, you know, uh, whether it was the right thing. Sometimes it it it's, it's an option, a valid mm. option, but there's stuff below that, you know, escalation of force. There's stuff below that yeah, you yeah. can do to. You know, to, may not you may not even need to do anything to do with that ammunition. You could you know, some other option to try and you know deny the deny the um, the threat or stop the threat. And he it was um, this incident. It was a they they reckoned that um, I say they and the company I was with. They reckoned that uh, they thought there was an enemy fighter had gone into this building, and uh, I happened to be off the. OP and back at the HQ. I can't remember what I was down there for. And so sniper got my optics out, you know, and uh, got down and started observing for them. Nothing. There was no one in there. I was, I was convinced there was nothing. There was no threat. Yeah. There was no one in that building. No, I wasn't. I wasn't seeing what they had reported. Like that. There was nothing. There was no one there. And he called in a fucking airstrike on this. Uh, it was a, a five. Uh, it was a, I think it was a thousand pounder. Thousand pound fucking bomb dropped on this building, mate. And I and I couldn't believe he was doing it. I I, I didn't think there was anyone in there. So it's like, what are you, do? you know, so we're screaming like a building blowing up. What the fuck are you doing, man? Yeah. You know, there's nothing there. Nothing. It's, and it was back and forth on the radio, going, and he was adamant. No, no, no. It's ignoring what I was saying. Bearing in mind, he had a pair of Times Seven magnification fucking binoculars, and we're looking at a target about a k and a half away. And I've got a Times Forty. Right. Yeah, <laughs> just, see you know, straight like just, through just, it. Just, exactly. And just wanted to call it in, and he called in his fucking airstrike. Pissed me off. And the worst thing about it was, as after the after the uh, after the arms were dropped, after the munitions were dropped, and you went for it to impact. I can't remember what the I can't remember what the length of time was from the munitions being dropped from the plane to them uh, to them striking uh, to the thousand pounder striking. But there was a a guy, 
literally because it was civvies about man yeah and in that area at the time and the civvy literally with a couple of shopping bags walking down the path towards this building and the the fucking the thousand pounder hit and he wasn't at the building and poof, and, mate if you're within about well you know yeah, if yeah. you're within probably 200 meters of a thousand pounder going off mate you are not going to be the same person you were yeah, no. after that bomb goes off. You yeah. are fucked. And You're the, done. And the dust cloud disappeared. The mushroom went up, dust cloud disappeared, and this guy just laid on the floor. You know, it's like, what the fuck, man? Couldn't believe it. Couldn't yeah. believe it. It's the only time I experienced it. You know, and, and uh, you get those people, unfortunately. You get those yeah. people, unfortunately. Oh, what, what, what can you do about it? I mean, go, <coughs> this couldn't be air because you come back to that, the commander with the, you know, where's your faith in your troops? <coughs> It strikes me, mate. If he's not letting people get on the wall to like repel a, an attack, maybe it was a really light attack, right? Yeah. But you want to over pretty quick. If you got the option to use it, but they must have had an incident. Must have, must they must have had like incidents of people not giving a fuck or civvies getting killed and pissed off the locals. Some there must have been some ill discipline somewhere. I would yeah. suggest, or he just did, or he was just a flapper. I, I think, yeah. Who knows? Flapper probably. You know, there's like. 150 meters away there's taliban flags flying on compounds and it's just like you know what i mean this is a we did a lot of scrapping in there it was just you know it's kind of these incidences <clears throat> were that were you know i just couldn't wrap my head around it Can you remember the what the area was out of interest no i can't remember at all i can't remember who was working out of there but you know it's like it's crazy because you would see lads or the lads you know getting a scrap maybe a local would get injured or maybe there's just somebody injured you know just the way life is and lads would work so hard to try to help that person out. You know, even if something, you know, even if a contact happens and there's an injured kid or something, you know, they're working so hard. Oh, civvies, you mean? Civvies, yeah. yeah, to help them out. No matter, you know, like they're just driven to do that. It's it's crazy to see, you know. But then I was also lucky to go into areas where there was like no IED threat and it was just, you know, getting in a good old fashioned gunfight. You know, it's just like, Gloves are off. They want to scrap. We want to scrap. Let's do it. And that was, it was like, it was good. They're the best ones, aren't they? Kind of, kind of old, <laughs> kind of old school, <laughs> right? <laughs> They're yeah. the best ones. <laughs> Two hundred six was more or less old. Was more or less old. Like that. It was just like fucking hell. Yeah. Me, and uh, and but you know, like, yeah, the, the problem became. The problem became moving down the line. Like, you, you know, the, the Taliban started changing their tactics to more ID based because they were they were. Just, yep. Yeah, we just smash them. Yeah, you can engage with the small arms. You're gonna get you're gonna get done over. Can you get hammered quick? So they move towards IEDs and, and indirect weapons. <coughs> yeah, and uh, and so we had to change our tactics. I say we, I mean the British, you know, British mm-hmm. Americans, had to change our tactics and the way we're operating. But at the same time, the public the public perception. So we were trying to change the tactics to meet what what was needed to take the fight of the enemy. But at the same time, the, because of not public perception, but public pressure i think man we were hands are so tidy roe got tighter rules of engagement got tighter yeah the protective measures that were taken to protect us were just too they were just crazy man putting I mean, a huge amount of kits yeah, on like i, I mean <clears throat> and you can't knock civvies for not understanding like you yeah, can't no, no, you no. don't understand and obviously there's a lot of misrepresentation of information that goes on you know like uh mm-hmm. but i mean i remember on that 06 talk mate there was We'd get the option as we got given the option as commanders. Do you are you going to wear body armor or not on this op? Offensive op? Are you going to yeah. wear body armor or not? If it's defensive, you'd wear it, right? Not offensive operation. You're going to wear body armor or not? You go, no thanks. Bin it. Bin the body armor. Oh, why, why would we do it? 
because speed and aggression, sp- man. Exactly, mate. Speed and aggression. I wasn't. I wasn't questioning. I was, yeah. I was, I was a talk question for me, but yeah, speed and aggression. Because you're fighting people, right? Are in flip flops, dish dashes. They got a couple mags, a few mags around them. Yeah, and an AK forty-seven. You know, and they have the opportunity because they live where you're fighting them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then as time goes on, and as time went on, like you said, the body armor got bigger. The plates got bigger. It became clunk. It made you can hardly move in some of the stuff. And as a sniper, you could even get to a proper. F- Fucking fire position in some of the body armor. You couldn't yeah. uh, lay down properly. You couldn't Prop get the wet on the shoulder. Yeah. It's like, and then and then you become less accurate. You know, as a, as a result, it's like all these things have a, have a huge huge impact. Up to civvies don't understand it. But again, go back to civic perception. I remember going on. Uh, I remember going on to a. Uh, I remember going on to a inquest after that tour for um, one of the guys who got killed, and he'd been killed by. Uh, an explosive incident. Any means. I don't want. I don't want to give specifics because I don't want to. Yeah. Because the the parents are still alive, right? And in the inquest, the the the, the mother, um, spent a significant period of time asking why, why there wasn't ballistic protection available to cover the whole of the body. She was on about plates, you know. You know, you know, mm-hmm. you know back in those days, you have a plate that covers your heart, and then you get a plate that covers your chest. And she wanted, she couldn't understand why we couldn't have full body protective suit that stopped bullets, you know. And and you, you know, you laugh about it. That, yeah, but that's but where that is the, you, they don't can, understand. Yeah, you know. But what happens is that is an example of what happens then when you go out there a few years down the line and then a few years after that, and just crazy amounts of body armor. Your helmet's changed; it's heavier. You got to wear fucking gloves. You got to wear. Those crazy underpants. Remember the boxes? Did you I, get never, I never wore them. Oh, my like, Tuck God. up underneath, yeah. Thunderpants. Ballistic protection underwear. You know, it's like, okay. And it's stop, to stop uh, fragmentation from explosives, like hitting your, your, your nether regions. Well, that's great. But they're heavy. They make you sweat. They give it more prone to, like, inf- um, like Chafing and infection. And, and, yeah. just, great. You're stopping. You're, you're preventing us getting injuries in, that, in one way. But you're actually... In another way, down, we're you're exposing us more. Exposing yeah. us more. We move slower. We can't take the fight in the enemy. The enemy afforded more freedom of movement around your base. And, um, trickle, it, the trickle-down effect is just... I, I'm a big believer in in it should be back to minimal body armor. Or you give the option. Mm-hmm. You go, okay, you, should, well, you, can, you can have no body armor. Or you can have your CBA, you know, the old, like, the old, yeah, yeah. I suppose, if you look at it, like a flak vest. Or you've got your Osprey and all that, like 11 and that. There's, there's your options. You choose what you need to achieve the end. Yeah. And, and Depends what you're doing and where you go. You got it in a high ID threat area? I'm sticking all my shit on, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah or, or depending on what op you're doing. But you give yeah. the option to the... The the uh, you give the options to the commanders to the different units, and I think well, well, we would we would we would be so much more capable of fighting force. Yeah. you can't do that, can you? Yeah, it, it was. Wouldn't wash. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was just. It was crazy just to see see all this unfolding, uh, witnessing it, and then, you know, but I had a, I had a great time, you know, having all these different types of ops and different roles, and just get like I said, getting the lay of the land. And being able to, you know, probably got the best of best of every world there. Afghan food as well. Loved oh, it, I yeah. Love Afghan food, man. Yeah, what was that like weird milky bread where they put like tobacco on top or something? What? Or not milky bread? Not, <laughs> not, not milky bread. The, it's like this weird like milk in a bowl and they dip the bread into it. I don't remember that. Yeah. 
It was I weird. Don't know. And they got sprinkle some green stuff on top. I don't know what it was. Oh, someone will, someone listen to this and they'll reply and they'll say. And when like, yeah. when they, it'll be online yeah. on social media when they do. I'm like it, sitting yeah. around drink. Sorry, sing, sitting around just drinking it and like, oh, what am I going to catch here? Here you go, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. Don't remember that. Yeah. Talk to me about the cycling, mate. So, um, uh, how many miles are you doing a day? Or a week? How many? So, uh, training wise, training, training. Talk me tra- through it. Training wise, it, it all varies depending where I am in uh, the training period, right? What so, events you specialty? Start with. So yeah, so uh, hand cycling. So it's basically a rec- rec- but distance. I mean, oh, distance. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, what during race? Yeah. Yeah. So we do individual time trial. So over fifteen to twenty k usually. Usually around 16, 17K. Uh, so it's out and back. And then a road race can be up to about 40 plus kind of thing. So those are the two uh, distances for the two races that I do type thing. Um, so it's full on training, training with that. So the week before I came in four days, I did 11 hours on the bike with two. Yeah, that was over four days with two strength days. Like gym days. Yeah, strength, strength and conditioning, yeah, yeah. mobility. Um, yeah, just getting jacked, trying to. <laughs> yeah, but it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of work on the bike. So, um, in that four days, I did two sort of power workouts. You know, sprints and that sort of thing, trying to hold as much power as I can over a two minute period, one minute period. You know, just doing repeats like that. So everything in cycling is measured by power. What do you mean? Cool. Wattage. So, so what's, the, what's the calculation? I don't, I don't know. Is idea. it speed versus? There is a power calculation. Isn't there? What is? What is it? Speed versus? I have no idea. I don't know. We'll have to find out. Mate, what? they were just like get on the bike and cycle, and it's like sweet. <laughs> oh, it tells you on it the wattage. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh right. So yeah, um, on my bike, there's a little power meter in the hub of the front wheel. So on the screen on my bike, on the little bike cycling computer. I can see how f- how fast I'm going, how long I've gone, my heart rate, my power, wattage, elevate, everything is getting fed back to me. So I'll have a workout and I'll have it memorized and then I can just go do hill repeats or whatever sort of thing, as it were. You're trying to hit those targets on the... On yeah, the, trying to hold it, depending on what workout I'm doing. And then say on an endurance ride, it might be three, three and a half hours long. And I just hit the hit the roads. Just get out, get out on the roads, and for that I might average, say, twenty-five kilometers an hour, with a couple, maybe, a couple thousand feet of elevation, depending where I go, what route I do. That's rapid. So yeah. on the on the hand on the hand cycling. Yeah. Is that? It, so it's an even it's it. an even push pull. It's an even push pull. And it's in front of you. Yeah. So there's two wheels in the back, one wheel in the front. I'm laying down. I'm really low. Even push pull, the gearing is the same as a regular road bike, except for it's backwards and upside down, in a way. Yeah. And I can just there's lots of different variations, but I just shift with my fingers, type thing, change the gears for climbing or going fast. Fastest I've ever gone down a hill, uh, long hill, was 97 kilometers an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where was that? In the mountains. So um, actually 11 months, 11 months after my injury, I wanted to get back and push myself sort of thing. And I'd only trained indoor. So when it's winter or can't go outside, you train on an indoor trainer. And obviously Canada in winter, 
you can't go in anywhere. So I spend a lot of time just on an indoor trainer staring at the wall, you know. So uh, I'd only been outside a few times, been on the trainer a few times. And I got back into the mountains, um, kind of along this, they call it the Icefields Parkway. Beautiful. Icefields Parkway. Yeah. Yeah. So between Jasper and Lake Louise, two big touristy kind of areas. Huge mountains. Did a lot of climbing in there, a lot of ice climbing. And uh, I wanted to get back, get back in there, try to push myself. Managed to get out 150 kilometers in a push. Started in the rain, turned to snow, eventually got into sun. You know, it was just wild. Yeah, I can't remember how many hours. It was probably like 12 hours. I was going so slow. It's like my third time ever on a road. But, you know, I was going past like these mountains I'd climbed and, you know, seeing them and ones I wanted to climb, you know. But, yeah, it was like that just physical draining, mentally draining. But that's I hit a huge downhill. There's a lot of blooded big downhill flipping mountain pass, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, hit 97. I was just watching the speed just go up, go up, go up. And I was just... I was just like, oh, this is mental, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. It was wild. Just in the middle of a road, just, you know, the pavement's just shooting past you and just... Canada must be the place to cycle if you're going to cycle. <clears throat> I'll do anything, I think. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Just yeah. just beautiful. A lot of lunatics, though. You're a bit different than the Americans, aren't you? Yeah, a little more chilled. But b- b- weirder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to watch De- out, mate. Definitely. Trump might be after buying you. Ooh. Greenland's like doesn't look like Greenland's happening for him. Right. Oh, is he wanted uh, wanted to stand hey, up see Greenland? The news? No, I think I saw he said a soundbite of it. He said he wants to buy. Can- he said he he's indica- he's he's not expected. He's, he's gone <laughs> off track here, but he said no, something like um, uh, it, he would consider it an option. It, it, it would be <laughs> he would be up for discussing buying Greenland, and then it was like he, there was a bit of gags. People were thinking he was joking, and then and then and then they've turned. Denmark's around and said, no fucking way, Jose. And he's cancelled a trip he was meant to be having in Denmark because they, they turned around and said, no, not happening. We don't want to cancel our trips here then. So he's, yeah. he's like <laughs> semi-serious, mate. He's, he's just playing Greenland, the game. Just like, Greenland, let's, yeah. let's see what we can Greenland, do with this. Yeah, yeah flipping heck. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, have you ever been to Canada? No, I've not. No, I mean, I, I might I might be going for work in the mm-hmm. not too distant future. Gotcha. Maybe, which would be good. But it... it uh, it does strike me a bit like a, a slightly more populated version of Greenland. I mean, I was, yeah. I was looking around like the Newfoundland Labrador area. Beautiful. And yeah, and the places uh, I'd be going to are in the middle of nowhere. And you look and there's like Inuit settlements, mate, Eskimos and stuff. <laughs> it's yeah. proper it's, crazy. Yeah, most of our population is kind of towards the, towards the south, kind of not too far from the American border, type thing. You know, and then you. You know, huge patches of nothing. Yeah, just nothing. And then, yeah, little settlements here What's and there. What's the population in Canada? Having a clue. I wonder what it is. Having a clue. Uh, Probably I, the population. I what it is per, like, it'd be interesting to see what, what the population of Canada is per per square mile, like, per capita, whatever yeah, you call it. Yeah, if you were, like, going to spread everyone out and yeah, how much like space they would have. one and a half people per K or something. Yeah. Shed loads of elk. Probably 10K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How come... Um, how come you went back to Canada and didn't stay in the UK? In fact, how are you eligible for the Royal Marines? Part of the Commonwealth. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's me being a moron. No, it's all good. <laughs> Sorry, man. Sorry, yeah. 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 So it was pretty, yeah, you know, there was a few Canadians knocking about when I was in. I served with a Canadian. Okay, yeah. Um, in three parts. Uh, Barrett. Ian okay. Barrett. Ian Barrett. He's still serving. Still in. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's yeah. It's I always found it quite random. You know, some some lads had someone a else as well. Go on, someone else as well. Yeah, some lads had like a connection. You know, they had a grandparent or maybe their mum or whatever was from the UK. But there was a couple like me that had zero connection, and they just wanted to just get after that adventure or, you know, get on ops right away or something. I don't know, or just you know the difficulty of training of either joining the paras or royal marines you know it's something a little bit more than what canada has to offer type thing what was the biggest you mentioned it earlier the culture shock of coming across from the uk uh, canada into the uk and joining the boot of joining the marines what was the, what was what sticks out in your mind is the biggest like whoa what this was a, this this place is a bit different yeah you came across first coming across was you know riding the train into London and just seeing how packed in everything was, you know? And then I was like, <laughs> I remember, I remember going on the underground and I was just like people coming in and out and barging around. And I was like, how do more people not get shot here? <laughs> you know, I remember thinking that and then, and then getting the train up to Limston, <laughs> you know, I was like, I just couldn't fathom it, you know, and getting the train up to Limston. And I remember there was two Scottish guys on there. I, I still don't know what they were talking about, mate. And then I and then I start talking to like, you know, scousers and stuff. I'm just, what the heck is it? You know, and then other people from around the country. I'm just like, I cannot. I don't know what anyone's saying, you know. And then they've all got their own like little language and their you know their little their own little sayings and stuff. So I couldn't figure that out. Plus all like the bootneck slang and stuff. I couldn't figure that out. And which one was you know? It was just like. It was madness. I still have times now. I still have, to, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> I think it's a product of being around loads of different places in, in, in my yeah. life and learning different languages and recognizing, you know, all the different Arabic languages and, yeah. uh, and flipping all sorts. And I still have times now, it happened last week, right, where someone will come, because the other thing is, I, I work in London, right? Yeah. The other thing is, you, you, you go in, when you when I go there, you have to be in a mindset that not everyone speaks your flipping language. Especially the I work for Inmarsat, mate. Yeah, they got like in the office in London, they got like seventy or different nationalities working for them in London. So you just and they and they quite happily speak their own language between you know French ladies, French bloke, well, not just French ladies, French bloke. Well, and if they're talking to each other and speak the same language, they'll speak to each other in that language sometimes. The other times they won't. It depends. So I'm all, my mind's always on when some and I'm like partially deaf as well. So my hearing is not great anyway. So someone speaks to me. I've had it last week, and it's got. I think fuck now. What? 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 They, so I don't. I don't. I speak. I don't speak. I speak English. And it's happened where someone speaking in a crazy English accent, like a Geordie or yeah, Brummy yeah. or Jock. And I used. To, I've got friends in it, like you have. Yeah. You've got friends with them all. But sometimes, if they like, if it's particularly strong, I have not got a clue yeah. what is going on and fast they're just going the so sayings, fast and the sayings and the sayings they got a Geordie mate oh, is he Geordie or is he Mackham can't remember which one he's from he's, yeah anyway so he, he said one day he said uh, fancy a buckle of bait mate fancy, that's not even the Geordie accent he said he basically said do you fancy a buckle of bait I said fancy a buckle of bait what fancy a buckle of bait what are you on about what are you on about <laughs> and it means do you fancy going for a pint I'm like, what are you talking about? I've never even heard that. I, like, I, mean, I couldn't even decipher that. Bloody buckle of bait. Fucking buckle of bait. Mental. Just Mental. Absolutely yeah. random. Yeah. This is wild. That's good though. I do I do like I do like diversity. It's a lot that you said for it, mate. It's so it's such a benefit. It is. 
in the right aspect like, yeah, yeah. You know, like it's just you learn so much you know and 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 that's one of the beauties of the, the like being military side yeah my god the thing like the things we ex- you know experience just just in a culture perspective yeah. like you were saying that bowl of the bowl of milky stuff for the bread whatever it is with the yeah. tobacco <laughs> whatever it <laughs> you know, was what, yeah you know my my best meal i've ever had that sticks in my mind is the best meal i've ever had is is an afghan i was sat there and i was in ashura was it ashura no, I wasn't sure. It was a, just sat there with a meeting. There was a, wasn't a meeting. What the fuck am I talking about? It was a, sat there having dinner with um, the local police unit. Yeah. And they served goat on a spine. Goat, so goat spine with a meat pack around it, right? Yeah. And sour milk. And it was like a bowl of chilies and it was naan bread. Oh my God. I've never, t- and it's basic. That's basic, you know, basic stuff. Simple, yeah. Goat meat, milk. The most amazing thing I've ever tasted. It was just, honest to God. Yeah. Honest to God. I mean, yeah, you just, you know, and then going into the security world or whatever as well, you know, it's just like, you're just seeing things you would never imagine, couldn't imagine and, you know, dipping your toe into all these different areas and different cultures and people and actually having like a real genuine interaction with them. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. Like, Do you have national service in Canada? No. What do you think of the concept? I think it's great. I really do. Um, whether it's military service or something that kind of serves people, you know, if you if you're not military minded or you know have some objection objection to it or whatever. But if there's some sort of community role, you know, in in a way, you know, and I I think about it because you know, I'm kind of more that minded. As I think a lot of people, especially young, they're really direct, directionless. You know, they come, they come out of school. Some are pretty switched on, but they come out of school and it's like, what, what am I living for? You know? Do you reckon they ask that question? Pardon me? Do you think that? Well, I think that that's a question in their mind. What? What's the? Yeah. So, what's the point? I don't. I don't. I don't really think. I don't know if it comes up in their head, but I don't know. That's just the sense I get. Because I was definitely that way. Maybe it was just me. Definitely that way when I was younger, like 16, 17 on. I was like, well, I quit school as well. <laughs> you know, I was a little, little, little bugger. But, you know, I was just like, what am I, what am I going to do? You know, I was always adventurous and stuff. So I had a bit of drive and stuff. You know, but it's like, I don't know. I, I, it's, intre- it's interesting. That you, it's interesting. It's <clears> interesting. <throat> Right. It's interesting what you said. Somebody said that actually, in that um, you could give the you could give the option to do something other than the military, but the service people. I'd not thought of that before, because when I when I've national service has been on my head for a while, and I've always I always felt, especially when I serve, it's like no, no way, because if you have national service, then you got basically you've got you, the standard of the British forces would, would come down, mm-hmm. because on average the 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 motivation and the capability of 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 the average um, service person would come down yep. because essentially there's going to be people that are forced into it and they not don't want to do it and so in general it's going to come down but then <coughs> I think <coughs> I, now I'm of the opinion I think that it, on a on a on a broader scale the, the sort of the the combined uh, the combined uh, positive impact that I would have on the UK or whatever country yep would would be huge it'd be worth 
like dropping the standards of the British forces slightly, just because you got more people who aren't interested in being there. But to have that, to have a nation of people who have experienced that physical, mental hardship. Mm-hmm. They've experienced, they may, well, they may not have experienced at all. Yeah, no. They've experienced depending on people depend and people having to depend on you and pressure and you know and having to motivate yourself and being forced to do things you you don't want to and you to do and you also find uncomfortable i think imagine imagine you know imagine having a imagine the generation below us with the first international service you know they 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 i'd be looking at them in a different light and they'd be have much better capabilities i think and they'd be much yeah. more tapped into what the world is really about and what and mm-hmm. how people operate and what what the value what your value should be i think i don't know that's, that's where i'm going with it now you know in, i think um you know imp- implementing or you know getting them to get that self-discipline even that even that aspect you know um understanding you know, yourself yeah push you know you know, they don't have to go get flipping beasted or what you know what I mean? But you know, just giving them that little bit more more of a kick. Imagine type, just type doing thing. imagine just having everyone do like phase one, phase one training. What's yep. that? Just six months, is it? Four months, five months? Billy six. Billy basically. Imagine just doing that. Even just that would have a massive impact. Yeah. Even that would have a massive impact. Because yeah, the, the or because of all the things we just said. Right? Yeah, you know, I think I think and uh you know giving them like more of a cohesive bond within the country as as it were if that makes sense mm. sort of thing like you know we've we've shared something together you know i i know the people around me have sh- have shared something together whether whether it's that short military service whatever it is or helping people out you know you know what i mean and i think it would benefit yeah i think it would benefit a, a lot of people and then it would also benefit the wider community you know Mm. whether it's like i don't know cleaning stuff up or you know volunteering well volunteering at old folks home you know just spreading the love yeah that's what i liked about that is serving serving people like some sort some sort of service you know I mean, you don't know, it's not it's not, it's not stuff you only get from the military like you're saying that it's some sort of service i mean the hardship has a lot to speak a lot to say for it when i was uh, so i went to um mozambique with team rubicon yeah and uh, there was a guy there and he, the person he was, civvy, right? He was a civvy. And the person he was at the end of that that deployment, he did about a week longer than me, I think. I think he did four weeks, maybe. <coughs> and the person he was at the end of the deployment was not the person he was at the start. Was not. Yeah. And it was only subtle changes, but a big impact. Like, mm-hmm. much more confident in himself. You know, he, he was a lot. Spoke a bit louder. He was. He sort of. He also had a different place in our, in 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 our little sort of group of friends and teams. His status changed. You know, elevated slightly. Not yeah. that he was a, a moron when he started, but he yeah. went up a notch because he's like, getting experience. He'd done things with us. He he's part of the team. He'd experienced hardship. He's a grafter, you know, and all of those things helped elevate him mentally to to be a different person. Young lad, mate. Young lad, you know, and and and. Uh, and it goes back to that that impact of hardship one hardship and being being part of a team. Yeah. And if team. if you if you noticed those subtle changes in the short period that you were with him. Weeks, mate. Yeah. Weeks. 
when he goes back to say his wider community, his family, his whatever, you know, that can be a big impact. Imagine the people if, that have never experienced like being part of a, a sports team, mate. There's people, you know, kids now, mate. Yeah. Couch all their life. Never been part of a sports team. They don't do anything at school. You know, they, they don't literally have nothing. They've no experience like that. The real stuff, the stuff that, the stuff that connects you and me. You know, like makes me want to talk to you. I don't mean on the podcast, in general. Yeah. The stuff that gives you value in my eyes. You know what I mean? You know, and, and vice yeah. versa. And generally speaking, you know, the stuff that elevates your status because that's an important thing. You know, status. You know, I'm not saying like you're gonna be fucking president or you know yeah. whatever, but you, your status is an important thing. You get, you get your places. You know, you find out where you you find out about yourself, where you fit in. You also have a respect for sort of that status or whatever, and where you can fit in, where you can help out, where you can contribute, when you can take over and take charge and start figuring figuring things out, yeah. and who you can go to when you need help. You know, it's not just yeah, just exactly. a sea I, of individuals yeah, I floating around. I, I, I didn't mean uh, just to clarify for my, myself here, for my own sanity. People, I didn't mean like, um, mm. oh, professional or he's he's this or she's like the best or whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the little impacts, you know, like you're saying yeah. there. If I if my status within my social group or a circle of my friends is, uh, and I mean, my status to them is like, you know, uh, I'm maybe I'm approachable and they can speak to me or. They can ask me to do something. They can rely on me to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, those little tiny, like basic, basic fucking things. Then that's that's good for them, and it's good for me. But you don't you don't understand the value of those little things, like being honest, admitting your mistakes, and all, all that stuff. You don't understand the value of that unless you've experienced a, a, a need for it to rise in the first place. Mm. Like your sports teams, like 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 going out and being part of you know good do, being do good in like a, in a in an old people's home, like you were saying. Yeah, just something. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know where we're going with that. I don't know. National service. You're just slagging off kids again. Yeah. Slagging off kids. Like PlayStation generation. generation forget yeah, about it. PlayStation generation, yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Maybe we're going to start. <laughs> what have we done? Take an hour and 20. Um, what's, uh, what's your, when's your next competition? I've got one, I think, when I get back uh, a couple of weeks' time. And then that'll, that'll be it. And then I'll be kind of into the winter phase of training. Should have a... Uh, another training camp around december and then march april time i'll have another training camp so it's when, just, when's your next speaking engagement you got one lined up uh, you're doing after dinner speaking you're doing motivational speaking now, aren't you it's kind of the thing yeah uh next one that's like fully in the pipeline is october oh, cool type thing yeah how many have you done now a handful well maybe a dozen or so type thing so yeah i've just pretty much started that really uh pointed into like a business now it's kind of done drips and drabs and kind of started toying with the idea ages ago this is but it's just kind of fell into place so i decided yeah i'm gonna pick on this and just let's see where this takes me and you know give me that drive and goal you know i've never done this sort of thing before you know just doing fizz living out of the back of a truck going climbing you know so this is a whole new aspect to my reality as it were setting up a business doing a bit you know because it is a business and then also being able to add value to a client as it were or whoever i'm speaking to and trying to slot in if an organization is having some sort of trouble within it or needs you know how do i 
adapt my st story into that yeah. and help them out and you know well it's unique experiences right i mean <coughs> but not everyone was gobbing off about national service mm -hmm. and going and fucking like mozambique mm -hmm. and, and all this and getting off the couch and doing whatever a lot of people don't have don't have the opportunity to do that time mm -hmm. resources just don't have the opportunity and, and with people like yourself with the unique experiences and, and your background if they have, if they haven't got the opportunity to go out and get those experiences themselves, that's how they, that's how they learn from it. And that's why that's why they're called motivational talks. You know, yeah. people hear your story, your background, Marines, and then getting paralyzed, and then getting through that, and and where you are now, and it's it's, it's fascinating, mate. It's fascinating, it fascinates yeah. me because I I you know I, I dread to think whether I'd have you know be able to be the kind of person you are and get and and just stay motivated. And I I don't know why that is. I just it's so people like you i find admirable it's, it's amazing it's amazing um we, we're gonna have to start wrapping up but how can uh how can people get older yeah so they go to my website joshuapellan.com p-e-l-l-a-n-d -E -E yeah yeah and then from there i've got a couple social links uh yeah just get in touch with me through do you there. post your race results on there no, I'm too slow. Let's <laughs> 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 let me know how you get on at the next race. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, from there, you can go to my social links and kind of see what I've been up to and what I'm doing. Cool. Anything else you want to mention before we knock it on the head? Yeah, just like I'm really only here today because of my family helping me out. You know, the lads coming in and just being being that motivation for me and being strong support network and seeing all the things that they're doing now. You know, it's like, okay, I can get going. I can get moving. And then the people I interact with in sort of the cycling community or whatever, that motivates me. So huge thanks to them. Thanks to you for having me on and your listeners for listening. It's like me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely awesome. Pleasure. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, mate. Thanks again to those who brought you the podcast today. Westway Nissan, up to a 20% discount for service personnel and veterans through westwaynissan.co.uk. Also, Rugby for Heroes, organising fundraising events for military charities. Go to Rugby Number 4 Heroes to follow them. Uh, and finally, Team Rubicon. Team Rubicon UK. Go to at Team Rubicon UK to follow what Team Rubicon are up to to get more information on what they do. Disaster response charity formed predominantly of ex-military volunteers. They cut the mustard in disaster response situations overseas and in the UK. That is it. Thanks for listening. Leave me a review on iTunes. Follow the podcast on YouTube. Subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. Support me on patreon.com forward slash hour. Until the next time, out. <laughs>